Let's uh, pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you that today we get to peek into once again one of the most wonderful stories in the entire Bible, that you sent Jesus as a baby to come and rescue us. And I pray, Father, this morning that your word will teach us and humble us and encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. So my son, Joshua, and his family used to live uh, in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. They lived slightly up on a hill. At the bottom of the hill was the blacktop road that went by their house. And 10 feet away from that blacktop road was a railroad tracks. And so when I went to spend time with my son's family, I would sleep overnight in his house. And the train came through at midnight, and 3 o'clock in the morning, and 4 o'clock in the morning, and so on. And every time it came through, there was an intersection of a highway right next to his house. And so every time the train came through, bonk, 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 just like that. Long, short, short. I know, I heard it a hundred times. Every time it came through, it woke me up. And you know what happens, right? I get up in the morning and I'm like, man, Josh, that train, you got to be, it's just driving me crazy. I can't wake up and then I'm, you know, I'm shocked. One night I was dreaming it was coming through the window of the house and it was a bright light and I woke up and I heard, bonk, scared me to death. You know what my kids told me? They never heard it. Why? They tuned it out because they heard it so many times. You know where I'm going, don't you? Some of you have heard the story of Luke 2 and the birth of Jesus 70 times, 60 times, 50 times, year after year after year. This morning, don't tune it out. Listen, hear it fresh, and look for those nuggets of truth that the Holy Spirit will bring into your lives. We've heard the Christmas story so much, so many times we can tune it out. Listen, this morning, God wants to roll the freight train of His incarnation through our hearts and minds this morning and bellow and blast the air horn of His grace and mercy that He displayed in Luke chapter 2 in the manger. Luke chapter 2 goes like this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and line of David, to be registered there with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. And, well, they were keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. They were terrified. And the angel said to them, Fear not! Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those 
with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, and the shepherds said to each other, well, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened that the Lord has made known to us. And so they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And then at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. So there's two kings in this passage, right? There's a king in verse 1, Luke 2 verse 1. There's a king in verse 7. Two kings. Is that fair? One king proclaimed himself to be a god. Gaius Caesar Augustus. The other one actually was God. One king was adopted into a family of kings and therefore became the king. The other king adopted everyone who was in his family. One king clawed his way into power by mercilessly defeating every one of his foes. The other one is all-powerful and offers amazing mercy to any foe who will receive it. One king amassed a huge kingdom by conquering it with well-trained soldiers and appointing battalions to keep everyone in line. The other one quietly builds his kingdom, speaking into the hearts of his subjects and does not keep them in line with the threat of a sword, but by changing their hearts so that they love to do good. One king said, You will come and be registered in my kingdom so I can see what you are worth and tax you accordingly. The other king said, Your immense worth is inherent in yourself as an image bearer of the one true God. And everything you have, I don't tax it. I gave it to you. And everything that you have, I have given to you freely. And I ask you not for a tax in return, but only that you would be a good steward of all that you have, which already belongs to me. One king is a personification of pride. The other king who in Luke 2, 7 is an infant, arrives on the earth that he previously spoke into existence with a level of humility that the universe has never experienced. One king, whose birth name was Octavius, was adopted by his great uncle Julius Caesar, and thus became the next Caesar of the Roman Empire, being given the name Gaius Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar, you remember him, he was arrogant enough to have the month of July named after him, July for Julius. And not to be outdone, Octavius comes along with a two-pronged approach to his pride in life. He comes along and first has the Senate rename him to Julius Caesar Augustus. Augustus is the word for holy or revered one, and his title was only reserved for the gods. 
And this king wanted that title for himself. And then second, naming July after Julius wasn't good enough for him. He wanted August for himself. So he named the month of August after himself, Augustus. And today our month of August is named after, in those days, Caesar Augustus declared this tax. And so the king, who in those days issued that decree, was that arrogant king. He would force Mary and Joseph to travel to Bethlehem, Beit Lahem, Bethlehem. In the Hebrew, Beit Lahem, Beit for house, Lahem for bread, the house of bread. So that Jesus Christ could be born as prophesied in Beit Lahem, house of bread. And so it was there that Jesus Christ, the bread of life, was laid into a feeding trough for animals. The bread of life arrives in the house of bread, Bethlehem, and is laid in a rickety old trough made of sticks for animals to eat of. And then Mary wrapped Jesus in cloths and placed Him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The One who wrapped the heavens in light. The One who wrapped the earth in rocks and water and dirt, is wrapped in claws and placed in a trough. Can you comprehend the marvelous, indisputable, awe-inspiring humility in the way that God came into the world? A perfect God enters into a broken world and models His plan of redemption by the way that He arrives. The contrast in these two kings is remarkable. We're going to look today at just ten contrasts in this passage. Draw a conclusion, then we'll be done. Contrast number one. There is a woman who is a virgin who has a baby. Well, there's a contrast for you. Now, I'm sure that sometime in our culture that's probably happened. Somebody's like, look, I don't know how it happened. You know, I'm a virgin, you know, and we're all going, yeah, right. Which is probably what some people said to Mary, right? They didn't believe her. But she was a virgin and she was a mother. She's not even married yet. She's just engaged because in Jewish law, you're not married until the marriage is consummated. So Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem to have this baby. Mary's a virgin who is now a mother and she's not even married. She's merely engaged. And then there's a helpless baby who is actually God. Yeah. Bring that little sweet child up here. The contrast of a helpless infant baby who is actually God. You know, this little one, someday she'll find her mouth with her hand. It'll be really cool. And she'll be like, look at that. Right? And then her arms will flash one day. And they'll go back and forth and she'll be like, I'm doing that. And then one day her legs, she's, oh look, look what I, and she'll lay on the floor and her legs will kick up and down. And, and then one day she probably will get her toe into her mouth because it'll go that far. Mine won't. Yours won't. Hers won't. And then, and then she'll roll over. And then she'll crawl. And then she'll walk. And then we have to lock every door in the house and every drawer and every cupboard and everything because she'll tear everything out there. And it, this is how Jesus came into the world. And he was God. And He made 
the world in which he entered and came in. He wasn't. He didn't roll out of the womb and go, "Hey, everybody, I'm here now. Yeah, cool. You know, that was a rough ride. That journey to Bethlehem that was a killer, right? No, no. He arrived as an infant, completely helpless, just like this little one. The contrast. Thank you, Rebecca. The contrast in the passage. The contrast. Am I off? The contrast in the passage is that there was a helpless baby who was actually God. Contrast number three. Contrast number three. There is a feeding trough for animals holding the bread of life. I don't know how many of you have grown on a farm, probably several of you. And I mean, I, I raised pigs. We had cattle. And I'm going to tell you right now, I never saw a feeding trough for animals in my life that I would lay my infant child in. I just never did, right? God somehow miraculously came into this situation, calmed those animals down, gave them enough clean, dry straw to put in that manger so this feeding trough for animals could hold the bread of life. How would you prepare a bed if God was coming to your house. I mean, I see how my wife prepares a bed when we have guests in our Airbnb. I see how, man, alive. It's primped and pruned and pillowed and dusted and, and aroma and the right light and uh, the whole. How would you prepare a bed for when God shows up and God sends his son down to the earth and lays it in a manger? Contrast number four. There's a young couple who is very, very poor, Joseph and Mary. They have no money, right? They have no money. There's a young couple that's very, very poor, and they're going to be registered to be taxed, and they have nothing to tax anyway. So they got to travel 80 miles, or else they would fear the punishment of the Roman government. They travel 80 miles so they can be registered to be taxed, but they've got nothing to tax. We know that they were poor, Because at the temple, when Jesus was named and they came back later to consecrate him and make the sacrifice, they gave a bird instead of a lamb. And the Old Testament tells us that if you can't afford a lamb, you can give a turtle dove or a pigeon and as a sacrifice, as a consecration of that little baby. I'm going to tell you right now, a lamb back then was probably worth less than it is today comparatively, because there was a lot more of them. They were everywhere. A lot of shepherds, a lot of sheep out in the hills. Lambs were pretty inexpensive, and they couldn't afford that. tell you something else. If you're a coffee drinker in this room and you get a coffee every day, you spend more on coffee in one month than it would have cost Mary and Joseph to buy a lamb, and they couldn't afford it. Two little broke kids traveling to Bethlehem. Contrast number five, there's an 80-mile trek for a young, broke couple so the Christ child can be born in the exact location that God prophesied. An 80-mile trek so that the Christ child can be born in the exact location that God determined and prophesied. You know, we see a lot of stuff about Mary traveling out there to Bethlehem and some many pictures show her on a donkey. I, I tell you what, I want to see one of you ladies, and a lot of you ladies have little holding little babies. I want you to see you nine months pregnant, okay, up on a donkey. Okay, this is not a horse. Horse kind of has a little bit more of a, a donkey, a little jerky, tiny donkey. I want to see you balance up on top of a donkey, 
nine months pregnant and go 80 miles. That's from here to the middle of St. Paul. Okay, not on 52. You don't get 52. You're taking the ditch. Okay, because there aren't any paved roads back then. I think she probably walked. I don't know. We don't have to argue about it. But what we can be sure of, it was 80 miles. It was a long journey. It would be easier for you and I right now to go outside, get in the car, and go to Florida right now than it would have been for Joseph and Mary to go to Bethlehem 80 miles back then. And God did that through the heart of a pompous king, right? So that the Messiah could be born at the exact location that God prophesied because there was no other way than for Jesus to arrive where it was prophesied. Contrast number six. Mary and Joseph are registering for a census to avoid the wrath of Caesar. Is that fair? Mary and Joseph are registering for a census to avoid the wrath of Caesar, but they would get there to Bethlehem and she would deliver the child that would bring peace on earth for everyone who believes. Peace on earth for those in whom God's favor rests. Mary and Joseph, you know, they were not excited about this. This was a long journey and Mary knows where she's at with this pregnancy. She's, well, I mean, Joseph, what if he's born on the way? What if I don't even make it? Maybe we should wait. Well, no, the, my word, the Roman soldiers will show up. We can't do that. We have to go. They register for a census to avoid the wrath of Caesar and bring into the world this little child who would bring peace on earth to those upon whom his favor rests. Contrast number seven. The religious elite. Don't ever be one. You hear me? The religious elite completely missed the entire event. And a group of smelly shepherds shows up to worship God. I'll be a smelly shepherd any day before I choose to be a religious elite. And God help me for when I have been one, because I'm sure that I have. Maybe you have been too. When you're that smart and you know that much and you know how everything should be done in church and you know what's going on, God can't use you like that, but a smelly shepherd who's just excited to be included in the family of God, the announcement of God, the angels talking to him, the contrast here is the religious elite intentionally missed it because God didn't tell them. He told a bunch of smelly shepherds. Shepherds were... Not a high class in that society. They just traveled around, moving with their sheep, sleeping out in the hill under a blanket maybe, under the stars. There was no fashion for them. There were no fancy barns to put their sheep in. There were no RVs. Shepherds were unclean by the nature of their work. One writer said that in ancient Israel, shepherds were generally considered to be unclean in the community of God's people because of the work they did. They were in daily contact with dirty, smelly sheep, their manure, the blood from their cuts and scrapes, the insects that buzzed all around them and their manure. And all of this meant that shepherds were almost never clean enough to worship in God's presence with God's people and they were generally treated as outsiders. And this is who shows up at the manger to worship the Christ child who was born into the world that He created. You think you're too broken for God? You think you've made too many mistakes? You're not smart enough? You think you've sinned too much? 
You think you're damaged goods? Well, you're in luck. Because that's the kind of worshiper that God wants. And God wants that kind of worshiper enough. A humble, broken, contrite, not religiously. God wants that kind of worshiper enough that He will send a million angels to break open the sky to invite you to worship Jesus Christ. Contrast number eight. Notice the contrast of the angel of the Lord appearing and creating great fear in contrast to the first words out of his mouth. Fear not. The angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were terrified. And the angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. One angel shows up. The shepherds are kicking back in the field. It's probably late in the evening. The sun's down. It's dark. Stars are out. and Probably out in the hills of Bethlehem. It's probably pretty gorgeous. The sky was probably lit with stars. and It wasn't real, real dark because you know you get out in the middle of the country and the stars actually start to make some light. And it's not like being in town. And they're out there and this angel pops into the scene and scares them to death. They were terrified. And the angel comes down and says, hey, I'm bringing you good tidings. And then the shepherds were terrified. The angel's like, hey, hey, don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. And then what happens, right? A million more angels join them and they sing glory to God in the highest. You know why I think the million angels didn't show up in the first place? They sent one. Because I think if the million would have come all at once, they probably all would have had a heart attack. Think about it. Boom. Right? One angel. That's scary enough. And then they realize that something really good's going on here. And then a million more come. And the sky fills from east to west, from top to bottom. The entire heavens are spread with angelic, bright, wonderful, gorgeous, awe-inspiring angels. And they sing glory to God in the highest. Contrast number nine. It appears that Caesar Augustus and the Romans are in charge. Right? It appears that Caesar Augustus and the Romans are in charge, but God micromanaged every last imperfect detail of this event. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, A king's heart is like a stream of water in the Lord's hand, and he directs it wherever he chooses. The time, the place, the circumstances, the cast members, the complications, the uncomfortableness, the announcements, the visitors, on and on and on. It looks like Caesar Augustus has got this thing, but God micromanaged every last little detail of this event. And the final contrast, beloved, is the sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing creator and sustainer of the universe is now being sustained and breastfed by His creation. You get that? The God who spoke it into existence with His Word and opened up the heavens and the firmament and the earth and the animals and the mammals and created man. The God that did that is now coming into our world and is being kept alive by His creation. It's amazing. 
the created ones protecting the Creator. Beloved, listen to me. This is what it looks like when God shows up. The plans and aspirations of men are putty in the plans of a sovereign God. And the humility with which God arrives into the world He made should crush and demolish into oblivion any possible remnant of pride in your life and mine. Sometimes we think too much of ourselves. Sometimes I think too much of ourselves, myself. And God steps into a universe in a way that crushes into oblivion every possible remnant of human pride whatsoever. I'm just thankful that not just that Mary and Joseph took care of the Creator, but that He's taken care of me, the Creator, and He's taken care of you. Three very brief takeaways from this passage for us on this pre-Christmas Sunday. Number one, be in awe of God. Be in awe of God. You know, several notable boxers, I could give you their names, but I'll spare it. Several notable boxers in the past have said, I'm the best it's ever been. I'm the best it's ever been, right? They've said it loud and they've been recorded and we read about it and we think, oh man. Caesar Augustus, the arrogant king we talked about from Luke chapter 2, verse 1. You know what he said in his deathbed? He said on his deathbed to the people that were around his bed, he said, have I played my part well? If so, applaud me as I exit. Really? Applaud me as I exit. That is, that is not how we should be. Stand in awe of God. Look at this narrative. Look at this story. Look at what God did. Look at the players He uses. The humility. The humility that He came into the earth. And stand in awe of God. Takeaway number two. Be humble before God. I teach uh, when I teach people how to prepare a sermon or a text or a teaching, I usually tell them to read the text over and over and over and over again. Some of you in here that have preached as I've helped you, we've done that together. We've traveled one time one to one place and read the text over and over and over and over again. As I read this text over and over and over, I was blown away at the humility that encapsulates this entire passage. The humility of it. I thought about illustrating how some kings have come into their coronation and the you know, $125 million they spend in chariots and people and dancers and all this stuff and, and how, how we'll spend 25, 30, 40, 50, 80 million dollars on a presidential inauguration, all that stuff. And here God dropped into the world in a bed made of sticks and straw. Be humble before God. Human pride is ugly and out of praise, place in the Christian who humbly receives everything from God. Jeremiah 9, Verse 23 and 24 says it best. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their wisdom. But let the one who boasts, boast in this. They have understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Be in awe of God. And know that your only boast is that you know Him. And lastly, be trusting in God. Is your life a wreck? You got something that bothers you? 
you think that maybe it's a little out of control and stuff ain't making sense and you got to make an 80-mile journey on a donkey and you don't want to make it. Some kings beating down your door for taxes. In the details of Luke 2, the details are mind-boggling. The location, the protection, the poorness of these two kids going to deliver Jesus Christ into the world. The gifts that get them to Egypt. It's not too long after this and Herod finds out that there's been a king born, drives him crazy, so he orders every baby under the age of two to be killed. There was a great wailing that went up from the city and God prepared in advance for the wise men to come and bring gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gave it to Joseph and Mary. The only way those two kids could afford to go to Egypt if they got a big influx of money because there's no other way to get there. They don't have any money. Telling them to go to Egypt is like telling you to, here's five bucks, go to Paris. Ain't no way. And God sends the wise men and gives them that money so they can afford to go to Egypt and live till the threat is over. And then they came back and the Bible prophet, out of Egypt have I called my son. The poorness of these kids, the gifts of the wise men. And listen to me, if God can do this one time to bring Jesus into the world, He can do it a million more times in your life and mine. If God can do it one time, He can do it a million more. Be in awe of God. Be humble before God and be trusting in God. I'm going to stick my neck way out there right now. And I want you to join me in something, will you? Away in a manger. Here goes. Join with me. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lay down His sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where He lay. And little Lord Jesus asleep on the head. Heavenly Father, thank You for what You did at Christmas. Thank You for sending the bread of life to lay in a manger for me and for everyone in this room. Father, I plead with anyone today, if you don't know this bread of life, come and find out the grace and mercy that He has today. Thank You for doing that, Father. Father, forgive me for when I am prideful, when I don't know my proper place, and help me to take my cues from the baby born in Bethlehem. In Jesus' name, amen.